The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. When people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter came for house Frey. And welcome back, everybody, to Bench with Bubba, episode 46, Game of Thrones, kind of episode one recap, meets fantasy baseball with none other than good buddy, Nathan Dawkin. You can find him on Twitter, at Nathan Dawkin, my friend. That uh, that thing alone got me chilled up last night. How are you doing, and how was episode one for you? <laughs> Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, it's it's good to be chatting with you again, especially after some sweet ass Game of Thrones action, man. That that episode last night was so badly needed. I had finally finished my my rewatch, my complete rewatch of the series, and man, I tell you, that first scene with with Arya as Walder Frey that was priceless, man. It was so kick ass to see her get revenge in that way. And not only that, I got a hell of a kick out of Walder Frey being. Just completely out of character, <laughs> like totally, totally just uh, complimenting everybody and being so over the top nice, which is not him at all. So if I was in that crowd, man, part of his family, I'd be, I'd be looking at everybody else like, what? Something is amiss here. Like this is not good. Yeah, it was like so weird. Yes, I called you back like midnight after we've already met once tonight because I want to tell you how much I love you. Something yeah. afraid never does ever. <laughs> Yeah, and she's just killing time, waiting for the poison to kick in. It was, it was I, I tell you, I loved when she did it at the end of season six, and I might have liked that even more, and I cannot wait to where she's going with this storyline because, my goodness, I, I knew she wanted to kill Walter. I didn't see her killing the entire Frey family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she went all out, man, and that already, like, immediately was scene one, you know, it's so fun theorizing all the stuff, where the series is going to go, where the characters are going to go, what's going to happen, try to predict all that kind of stuff in between seasons, and immediately, like, the the first scene, one of the more interesting ones that I had heard was blown out of the water, where they're thinking that uh, she was going to use Walter Frey's disguise to sneak up on, you know, like, Cersei and Jamie and just uh, kill them that way, thinking that, you know, that she's just walter frey but yeah they they got word of his demise very quickly and so that's not gonna happen so she's gonna have to find a different avenue for revenge now well i got a theory on that and we'll get to that a little later as we go through this episode we're gonna try to get to fantasy baseball i promise people we're gonna try (laughs) but um 
Nathan and I, we've, we've, we've DM'd back and forth about Thrones and we talked about doing this episode for quite some time. Um, he did a, an awesome preview on his uh, podcast. Uh, why don't you go ahead and before I get going, I, I, I feel like a horrible host now. Why don't you plug the 12 places or whatever you're at, including your very new venture <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah, uh, there are some interesting things going on. Um, so yeah, still writing over at Fantastics Insider Baseball and at uh, Big Guy Fantasy Sports. I do a weekly fire nice article there, performance evaluation. And of course, the Nasty Cast will continue to do its nasty thing. And something that uh, I don't think anybody in the public really knows yet, uh, there's been a, a bit of a change of plans. The Nasty Cast was going to be joining uh, Fantrax Radio, which just launched today. But instead, what's going to be happening is we're going to be doing a brand spanking new podcast for Fantrax Radio called the, uh, well, just Fantrax Dynasty Baseball. And it's going to feature myself and Van Lee and Ron Rigney, the same crew from uh, the Nasty Cast. But we're going to be strictly looking into dynasties, dynasty evaluations and prospects and, and that kind of stuff over at Fantrax. And I am really excited to do that. So just another podcast on my plate. One more thing to do. Good Lord. I'm stretched myself thin, but man, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. So you're going to do that and keep the Nasty Cast going? Yep. The Nasty Cast is going to remain exactly as it is. You can find it on any of your podcast apps on Blog Talk Radio. That's where we host it. So um, that that will not change. And this uh, the Fantrax Dynasty baseball podcast is going to be available only on Fantrax Radio. So that one is a little different. And obviously, you can just listen to that on Fantrax. You know? So if you have any leagues there, you're setting your lineups, hey, quick a little Fantrax Radio. <laughs> Get smarter while you play. No, that's awesome. Um, I've, I've been seeing you guys, the BGFS guys that don't know them, the big guys, fantasy sports, really awesome group of guys, fun stuff they put out. They have their podcast, Nathan, as he is a part of the network, all kinds of good stuff. Um, check them out. Really, really good. And I've been seeing them tweeting out about this Fantrax radio for a while. So it's really cool seeing everything you guys are developing over there. Lots of good stuff. And his, his weekly Fantastics articles or however often, I can't remember, a couple times a week, really good stuff there as well. So tons of good stuff there. But let's get back to what's important now. No offense to you. is Game of yes. Thrones, Episode 1, Season 7. So we mentioned Arya kicks things off. It's one of the few times, I, I think it's like less than five times now, maybe the fifth time, Game of Thrones in the entire series has started out without the song we all love. And, you know, we feel like a 12-year-old the first time we saw a, a Braun Panties article. Um, it was amazing. But it, it, there's no, it's just an open. Arya does her thing. We talked about it. It's amazing. She's going to go on a tear, and we'll get to that in a minute. What comes next is after the great song, where you see the map of Westeros and everything else that is great in this world of Game of Thrones, we see this just foggy image of the White Walkers heading towards the wall. But there is something very important that I noticed in that. What did you notice in that group of White Walkers? Giants, bro. <laughs> they got a bunch of yes. giants now. Holy that crap. Is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. As if there was anything else that they needed to help them, you know, They've got the biggest army on Earth already, and now they've got a whole horde of freaking giants. So, yeah, things just keep getting better. Yeah. I was was really excited that they didn't make us wait to see the White Walkers, though. Like you said, right after the the opening theme, there they are slowly approaching very ominously. I love that scene. 
Oh, it was great because my wife and I are watching it. And I'm like, what the heck are they doing? Is that a boat in the fog? Was it? And all of a sudden we see the horse. And you see a little more like, oh, crap. <laughs> yep. um, but a side note to that, like you said, you're glad they, they showed them. Usually Game of Thrones, at least the first episode, if not the first couple, it's like slow, you know, buildup of like storylines and all this. This was one of the best episodes where they did the buildups, but they kept it moving and it was action packed the entire time. And just a little scene like that, it wasn't any more than what, a minute to two minutes max was so important in the entire scheme of things. It was amazing. Yeah, you said it exactly. I think that, uh, yeah, it, it always, the episode one always requires a little bit of revisiting, hopping around, making sure we all know where everybody's at, just retouching on the, the storylines while trying to progress the plot a little bit. But basically, it's just regrouping everything. And yeah, they, I think this was probably the best job they've ever done at that as far as not having the episode feel slow. So we, we got a taste of everybody, and uh, it was still an awesome episode, regardless of it just being sort of a, a setup episode. So after the White Walkers, we head to Winterfell, and this had many layers to it. And it were, there's one layer we'll get to that I was talking about on my preview, and I'm pretty sure you guys talked about it on your preview between Sansa and John. But it starts out, John is uh, basically preparing everybody for what's to come that they need to focus on the, the north still, not move south, all these things. But um, John does a couple things that get Sansa a little riled up. I don't know if you want to get into that first. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I think that uh, Sansa might still be a little bitter about him not consulting her at the Battle of the Bastards last year, you know, when she had some valuable insight and he totally just kind of He's like, you're a girl. You don't know what the hell you're talking about, you know, uh, whereas she knew Ramsey and she could have helped John greatly. And now he's sort of trying to dismiss her, uh, you know, which maybe she shouldn't have uh, spoken up at the great table in front of everybody like that. But at this point, she is uh, not really one to hold back. I think she's <laughs> she at this point of the series, she's been through so much. She's a cut the crap kind of girl. And she alluded to it a little bit later as far as her being influenced. She's been influenced pretty heavily by Cersei at this point. And we know how Cersei is. So, Yeah, that was was so good because that's a scene we'll talk about a couple scenes from now. But, yeah, when John basically says, you know, the way you talk about her, it's almost like you look up to her. And it's so true, though. Everything she's gone through, she's like, I've learned a lot from her. And you can see a lot of those things kind of in the early Cersei that you saw. Um, you know, she's still trying to be this, you know, kind of pretty young thing going out there, but she's also has that no nonsense. This is what we're doing. And I'm going to screw you over if you're going to get in my way. Like, uh, the way you said, she shouldn't have talked up at the table. That's one thing you talk to John about later. You need to keep the leadership the way it is. But a, a theory I've always had coming into this and it showed its ugly head early is little fingers already in her ear saying you're the right flair at Stark. He's not a Stark. So, you should be queen of the North. This king of the North shouldn't be happening. And they keep showing the clip over and over of him standing there smirking the whole time. Yeah. You can see it. You can see it wearing on her more and more and more. It, it was deep, really deep. There's, I tell you what, like pretty much any scene in the little finger has been in throughout the entire series. It could just be like a cardboard cutout of him with that smirk. And they just like prop it up where he's standing and he can just do like a voiceover. He's always got the same exact look on his face, just with different words popping out of his mouth. And, you know, he's always just looking out for himself and Sansa sees right through that at this point. She's 
she's wise in a way. So, uh, I, I honestly, I'm kind of frightened to see what Littlefinger has up his uh, long sleeves because he's he's always scheming and planning, and uh, it seems like if there's anyone who can sort of throw and a wrench into everything that is kind of out of left field, it's him. No, definitely. Um, back to the the great hall, the great table. Our little lady Mormont strikes again. That girl is amazing. You know, I, I forget the guy that stood up what house he was for. Basically said after John said, we need all women, children. Everyone has to learn how to fight. We need every person we have. And the guy says, I'm not training my daughter, all these things. And Lady Mormont stands up and just gives another speech of all speeches about basically you're a little little girl. I'm the big girl. Um, and this is what we're going to do. And John start training immediately. Yep. She tells it like it is. Yeah, I, she's definitely the boss of that room behind uh, behind Jon Snow, man. He could not have asked for a uh, a better person to have standing behind him, basically. Yeah, it, she, she's amazing. And then I think a couple more things happened in this. There's a big scene. Um, the, the scuffle, basically, between Sansa and Jon is – John, you know, we had the, uh, I've been at the car Starks and somebody else. I can't remember. They joined Ramsey's crew. And so Sansa wants their, you know, families, you know, taken away, given the castles, the new families. And John, no, one kid, one family's mistake can't ruin it for decades. La, 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 la. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it, uh, it does have, I mean, you can see both sides, right? And that's sort of a, a microcosm of the series. And that's what makes it so great is because you get two very good angles on the same subject and one isn't necessarily right. But I think that, uh, you know, what, what John has been through throughout the series definitely influences this decision. And he has found out that maybe, I mean, it's one thing to be like his dad, Ned, well, sort of dead uh <laughs> you know and have honor and but that came back to bite him in the ass in the big way and uh you know maybe it's better to uh show a little uh oh what's the word i'm looking for you know just not, not go around cutting everybody's head, heads off especially at a time like this where you need everybody to be united you can't have a bunch of infighting so i i think that in the end he went with the right decision yeah i agree the last part you said there's the most important is they need everybody possible so getting rid of people getting rid of you know strategic locations of castles not good ideas because originally she just wanted to demolish things (laughs) it was that bad um last thing a change is going to be happening at the wall if john gets everything he wants which he should john is going to basically take you know all the help there to help fight and he's going to leave the wildlings in charge of the wall do you think this has a long lasting impact on the wall and anything else involved? <laughs> oh man. See, I, I really don't know what, what exactly is going to happen there. It kind of feels like um, whenever the white walkers show up and they're, they're at the wall and it's a bunch of wildlings. It seems like they're a little bit easier fodder as far as being killed <laughs> for the purposes of the show. There's not a lot of wildlings that we're going to miss, you know, it's like Tormund and uh, that's pretty much it. So uh, I think that uh, there is going to be a big battle at the wall. I think that maybe that's how this particular season comes to an end as the wall finally comes down. I don't know how that's going to happen exactly, but uh, I think regardless, all the wildlings, all the people at the wall, they're going to see a lot of action by the time the season's over. And I think maybe more than anything, I'm most excited for that aspect of the show, that that storyline. 
No, I, I completely agree. That's what's going to take us to the wall is I've been thinking all along that the wall has to come down at some point. It's just proper. The white walkers can't go through with the wall there. That's just the way it works. Um, unless the key thing that I'm leading to now is after we leave Winterfell, Bran and Reed end up at the back gate to the wall and they finally get let in after a few things. And my only thing is, do you think since Bran's been touched, that's how they got into the tree. Does this allow them access through the wall? Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard that before, and that is interesting. If he unwittingly, just by showing up at the wall, is negating the magical properties that the wall has. But at the same time, I, I feel like that's sort of a stupid cop-out, <laughs> which, which I don't know if George is one to really do something like that. So I hope that that's not the case. Uh, but it's, I mean, he's... I'm, I'm really excited to see exactly what he's going to bring to the wall and uh, all his flashbacks and, you know, exactly how the wall is going to come down and all that kind of stuff. Seems like a foregone conclusion. So I don't exactly know. Like I said, I hope they don't take that exact avenue, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and it's something you said on your preview on your nasty cast preview. I think brand storyline is going to be so awesome this year. Just cause like you said, all the flashbacks are going to get deeper into some of the key storylines that kind of develop to what things are now. Uh, I think there's a lot. He's going to have a huge role, I think, in the end of this. I think him and Sam Tarly are going to be your unsung heroes of this, the last few episodes. But uh, just like that White Walker part, that was just a quick clip to let you know what's up, and we move on. And we head to Power Trip Cersei in Westeros, or in King's Landing, (laughs) as she's getting, you know, Westeros painted on the floor, and she just wants to play God. And Jamie walks in and basically, what are you doing? And Cersei coming back with her is, are you mad? It, it's just the back and forth. You can see the riff is continually developing and it, it could lead to something very, very interesting. What do you take from that whole back and forth between them? <laughs> yeah, they're not quite on the same page anymore as they once were. Um, Cersei, like you said, just hell bent on power and let's just conquer everything. And he's like, why? We don't have any kids anymore. All the kids are dead. We don't have any, any allies at all. You know, sort of like, what's the point anymore? But she is sort of letting that all go in one ear and out the other. And she's going to, Cersei going to Cersei, you know. She's she's not going to let anything get in her way. She wants destruction. She wants all her enemies vanquished. And, um, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting storyline, too, because uh, uh, Jamie's right, really. Like, <laughs> they have no allies. So, except for Euron, I suppose we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, it's sort of yet to be seen if he is a, actually an ally or not. Yeah, uh, he said a great quote to her, and it kind of leads to something I left out. Or that actually comes up. I'll, I'll beat the point here. She sends a raven out to all the kingdoms, and John gets it and says, "You know, this is Cersei, the queen of the seven kingdoms. All this stuff come bow down before me, or you're a traitor." Well, she's telling Jamie that yes, I'm in charge of the seven kingdoms, and he basically stops her in her tracks and goes, "You're lucky if it's three. Yeah. <laughs> he named yep. off all the ones like you have enemies all around you, like you said, and it was perfect just to look on her face like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then and then it breaks away. Like they talk about a few other things that aren't as relevant. They are, but they're not. And it breaks away to she's saying she has you know a guy, um, the Greyjoys. And he, he you're on, and he wants a, a queen. And Jamie's has this look on his face like, what? Like we're supposed to be you know together basically. Yeah, you've already screwed up everything else. Um, so yeah, that leads us to Huron. They, they, they come on in and he gives his 
cockier than cocky appeal to her. What do you think is going to come out of like, what's he going to do to prove the loyalty? Oh man. I mean, first of all, this scene is fantastic. Like he is giving it to Jamie hard. He's like, I got two hands. I can make a hell of a better lover. And like, Oh my God. She goes, Oh, you, you, you killed your own brother. How could we trust you? He's like, it feels, it felt good. You should try it sometime. Like, man, this dude is all balls. You got to love it. So I don't know exactly uh, what he, the first, the first thing that came to my mind when he said he was going to go give her a gift, uh, immediately Tyrion popped into my head. I have no idea why. That's just like, uh, if you're doing, uh, um, oh crap. Just whatever. <laughs> I can't think of the word. The first thing that pops in your head, basically when you say that improv, uh, you know, that's that's the first thing that came to my head. But then uh, I think it was Ben that speculated on our on our show too something about a dragon horn, uh, mm-hmm. which would help them control the dragons instead of Daenerys potentially. And so that is something that is terrifying as a possibility as well. Uh, but beyond that, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I heard that on your podcast. And that's about the only thing that came into my mind was that because outside of the dragons, I don't know what the heck she could do to prove her loyalty or whatever to him but yeah when he was giving it to jamie because jamie had come back with little comments about all you guys do is this or that and then the line about killing your brother you should try it was priceless (laughs) absolutely priceless and the look on his face man man. because he he walks in there and when he tries to walk closer to the throne the mountain steps up and he's like okay i got you i'm gonna step back for a minute Yeah, he's he's got balls, but he's got brains enough to know when he's outmatched. He stepped back pretty quick. Yeah, so that was pretty good. I'm curious to see where that goes because I've heard, uh, read and heard some interviews with him basically saying he's going to be more hated than Ramsey and Joffrey ever were. So this yeah. could be really come season's end. Um, after that, we go to good old Sam Tarly trying to become a maester. Apparently, you got to deal with a lot of shit becoming a maester. He's cleaning. He's putting books back on the shelf. He's going to every bedside and apparently all they have is runny shits there. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that was like the worst thing I've ever, even my wife was like, what are they eating there? <laughs> yeah. They're eating soup and it comes straight out like soup. <laughs> um, They've got a straight curry diet down there at old town. Yeah, that was unbelievable. But uh, the important part is typical Sam, you know, it, it was kind of off and on. But he finally gets into the – I don't even know the guy's name he was with. Uh, they were you know, breaking, dissecting a dead body to find out different things about him. And he wants in the secret room where the books are, the important books. And he starts asking him, why do people think uh, you know, White Walkers, I'm lying about it, this, that, and the other. And it's pretty interesting because we've noticed that in other areas where people are like, no, they don't exist. And um, he finally gets in, and he does something early in episode one I never thought he would have done has already figured out where the dragon glass is. Um, what do you think of, you know, Sam's whole deal there? And then what else do you think he can help with throughout the process? Yeah, I was really glad that, uh, I mean, I enjoyed that montage as much as anybody. I was laughing my balls off. Uh, <laughs> poor Sam. I'm thinking like, man, maybe the wall wasn't as bad as this. Like he maybe he wants to go back. I mean, I guess he's, he's at least warm here, but geez, that was pretty brutal. But, yeah, I was glad that they paid it off at the end by him actually fighting out something as important as that mountain of dragon glass uh, out of uh, Dragonstone, and so it paid, they paid that off really quickly. And uh, I, I'm sure that um, we're going to find something else 
you know, with him that he's, I mean, that's what he's there for, right? He's figuring out how to beat the white walkers and already he's off to a pretty good start. And I got to say one thing that I found um, a link on Facebook today from somebody who, you know, when he was paging through um, those books and he, he saw the map for Dragonstone, somebody took the time to freeze frame that page. And uh, it said something about a cure for grayscale on the same page as, as the as the dragon glass so perhaps you know we we saw a mysterious man locked in a cell perhaps he could be helped out somehow by by sam in a future episode a mysterious man that uh, continued to profess his love for one denarius targaryen <laughs> that um just had grayscale on his arm some mysterious man but um <laughs> speaking of that mysterious man we'll skip to this i am glad that he went there because she basically told him you know go find a cure and where else would you go besides a place like that? Cause there's no one else who's going to figure it out. So that, that's crazy that it's on the same page. That part's pretty funny to me, but I was thinking that he'd help with that process as well, because the mysterious man is going to play another role in this season. You know, he's not going to just go away. So that was cool to see Sam's uh, he's uh, basically that interaction alone in that scene. A shows you where he's at. B shows you he's going to build a connection with Sam because every day someone comes by and grabs those pans. Why does he wait till Sam comes by to reach out and touch him? So I think that's a, a deeper, unless I'm just overlooking, like overthinking it. I think it's a deeper thought well, process. I, I think what it was, he was, he was trying to reach out and touch Sam because he saw how grossly overweight Sam is. And he's trying to turn him and gives him <laughs> rock hard abs. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Rock hard abs. <laughs> oh, that's Help good him, stuff. Man. No, that's great. Uh, the one other thing, you said you're reading the books now. How far have you gotten on those? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, my pace has slowed down with all this new stuff that's going on in my world. But um, I made it through. I'm about halfway through the first book. I got the, okay. I got the whole set for Father's Day. So Okay, I was wondering. My wife's wet read them, so I'll have to ask her. But I'm pretty sure when full grayscale sets in, you basically become like mental. Like you just don't think straight. So yeah. That also shows that things are still okay at the moment. Um, all right, back to Winterfell. I know this is be long, people, but it was awesome. It really was. Um, we get Sansa and Baelish talking it out, and they will look at Brienne down down below training her little buddy or squire, and we got our wildling giving her little winks because you know someday <laughs> that has to happen. Speaking of which, yeah, well, we'll get to that later. Sorry, but that was awesome. But. When Sansa basically tells Baelish, I'm fine, leave me alone, the best thing she said is, uh, no need to seize the last word, Lord Baelish. I'll assume it was something clever. Yeah, she is that so sick of his crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she basically tells like, John and Brienne, like, well, I have to put up with it because without him, we would have died. So, but... It's true. Yeah, but what do you think? Because Brienne's like, she could sense like I need to come up there and get rid of him basically. So there's an interesting dynamic being built there, being built with the wilding, being built with Peter. Cause Peter's not leaving. He wants something. We kind of all have an idea. She even said, I know what he wants. What do you think it is? Baelish wants. Uh, he's, I mean, he said as much. He wants her. He wants the throne, man. He wants it all. And she ain't having it. She is uh, throwing it back in his face. Not so subtly. So uh, he's, I, you got you got a guarantee, you know, with him, he's already got the wheels turning up in the head, and he's he's figuring something out, and it's not going to be good. I I don't think he will hesitate to 
turn on the Starks. You know, he's not really shown loyalty to anybody but himself in the past. And for God's sakes, he sold her basically to Ramsey Bolton and he knew full well what he was. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's he's he's just about as frightening to me as the White Walkers or Cersei. Yeah, I, I mentioned that on my preview with my buddy that um, Cersei said it a long time ago, basically, like, if you're not playing the Game of Thrones, you're going to die or something like along those lines. And I said Cersei and Varys and Baelish are the three best players in the entire realm. They, they're literally zero Fs given to the situation. And it's awesome. Let's leave Winterfell and get to one of the weirdest slash cool scenes of the show. And I think this is where my Arya angle is going to come in. Arya is just cruising on her horse, making her way to, to, to King's Landing. Comes upon a bunch of... Um, Cersei's soldiers traveling to see the phrase as we find out eventually, because they heard there's problems in Freyland. Um, and they invite her to come eat and they talk and she drinks some wine and they ask, Hey, why are you going that way? And uh, she says to kill the queen and they laugh at her because they underestimate her like everyone else does. Yeah. What is your whole like feelings and takeaway from that scene? Cause it was really, really cool. A lot was going on there and I'm not exactly sure how much is going to develop into something else or if it was just, I don't know. There's a lot going on in that scene. Yeah, I think, um, th- well, aside from um, Ed Sheeran being uh, stealing the scene there, I guess, it's kind of weird. I had heard a lot about him being in the season. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a recurring character or anything like that, but it was interesting that they got it out of the way, like right away, the first episode of the season. But uh, yeah, I kind of think that it was just sort of an interesting um side scene i don't necessarily know that it's going to have a lot of bearing on the storyline but i think what it was showing us is that where she is going all out as far as getting vengeance on those that have done her wrong um she still has a heart and like those guys were talking about how they got families back home and you know they're not bad guys basically pretty much all of the lannister soldiers and everybody else that we've seen uh, out on these roads are all giant douchebags and they'll kill anybody for you know a crusty sock and uh these guys were totally cool they gave her free food and she was just laughing it up with them and so i, I think that basically gave us some insight that she's not the, just this evil like revenge bent little girl anymore you know she's there's still Arya in there and she's still a stark and she's still mostly good she just you know wants to kill those that have done her wrong I agree with all of that, except my theory, which we all get theories in Game of Thrones that are mostly wrong. I think she's softening up to him so she can kill one of them and use all his face to get into King's Landing. Ah, okay. That could be. That's a long shot. I'm just, just an angle. Um, we leave the little fire party, you know, dinner party, and we get to your favorite character or one of your favorite characters. We get the Hound and his good old buddies. Um, marching around through the snow and they come upon the house where the hound and Arya once were, where they killed a father daughter combo. Um, and no, that's not a triple X movie. Uh, so, so this was an interesting scene because the hound being the hound himself had a lot of, of his famous, famous lines. He, um, but he shows a heart and he starts to learn more about the, the, you know, the, uh, I'm going to say what, what they are. And um, and he basically turns into someone else. What was your feelings with that whole scene? 
Oh man, this was one of my favorite scenes of the episode, mostly because I love the hound and he had, like you said, some great one-liners as he always does. He's eminently quotable. Uh, but yeah, it's, it actually took me a while for it to click in that that was the same place that they were at I don't, way back in whatever it was like season three or whatever, when he was with Arya, that didn't click in with me right away. And then when, um, when it did, it, you know, breaks your heart. So you see these, the untimely demise that was not deserved and we we do see him show a heart that he never did you know he, he he never would have done that back in the beginning of the season but he sort of has had an epiphany ever since he was left for dead by Arya and um you know the faith of the seven they brought him back to life and he befriended uh uh what's his face i can't i can never remember his name he was only there for half an episode but <laughs> last season uh it kind of steered him in the right path and like he's He's kind of a good guy now, and it was it was really interesting too that he actually, you know, saw things in the fire that the Lord of Light was showing him, and he couldn't believe it. And Beric Dondarrion couldn't believe it either. He started talking about how he sees the the White Walkers approaching the wall, and Beric looks back and I'm like, "Holy, you actually are seeing this!" <laughs> so I'm really stoked to see where that leads. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that part. That part, literally, the look on Barrack's face—he turns his, over his shoulder and like, "What? Like, are you are you BSing me right now? This is unbelievable." And um, yeah, he's buying into it, and it, it's going to be really interesting where that storyline goes. So I still think, I still think he battles his brother at some point in time and kills him. Uh, that has to be how it, ends. it has to be how it ends. But. As we've seen with like Derek and his guys, you know they have the sword that lights into fire and they fight White Walkers and stuff. There's a lot of interesting plays with the Hound, and it, it was a very deep scene to show that. And we kind of saw it when he's with Arya. It's that he does have a heart because he could have killed her a long time ago after they found out that her mom was dead and stuff. I don't need you anymore. Like he could have finished that off a long time ago. But he he showed differences in him that uh, it's gonna be really interesting as that storyline continues to develop. Yeah, and he, I don't think he ever would have been a, a bad guy if it weren't for his brother, you know, melting his face over practically nothing, you know, and then it, it basically, you know, and then his family covered it up. So it turned everybody against him. And so all of a sudden he's vengeful, you know, against everybody in the world. And he's now this hideous, ugly guy and everybody hates him. He's just this big, gross thing. So I think that's the only reason that he was ever so, you know, so bad in the first place. And now he's kind of gotten past that and he's he's on the right path, as they would say. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. All right, we're getting towards the home stretch here. Um, we kind of already talked on it, but Sam goes home with his books. Gilly's telling him, you need to go to bed, as she plays with little Sam. And um, he doesn't want to, and he finally finds what he needs. And she's helping him look through books too, which is kind of cool. But uh, he finds it, and you mentioned it. Dragonstone has dragon glass, and he starts to write a note to the raven. Um, wondering how long it will take to get there, but we have hope. We have hope because uh, our next scene tells us someone's already there. <laughs> Finally, we've been waiting six seasons. <laughs> yep. And she is there. And she is pretty cool moment when she just knelt down and grabbed some of the sand. Finally, Westeros, which she calls home, yet she's never been there. Well, she was born at, at Dragonstone. That's where right. she was born. But yeah, other than that, she's been long gone. So... It was really cool. They they march around, uh, going through everything. They pull the banner down. That was a cool moment. And then I thought something was really, really cool. She has her throne sitting there, and instead of going and sitting on it, she just looks at it and keeps walking. Two theories is because 
she's down to business. She's always wanted the Iron Throne. This is not the Iron Throne. She wants one throne and one throne only. And secondly, she walked straight into the room where you remember Stannis was, where you know the the, the smoke child was conceived. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who could forget that touching moment? It was it was so romantic. Um, (laughs) And her and Tyrion just walk around the table, and she's just looking at it, looking at everything. And she has one of the best lines ever to finish an episode. Shall we begin? Yeah, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Okay. Last thoughts on Game of Thrones episode one. That was quicker than I thought, as quick as I could have done it. What, what's your takeaways? Where are we going? Oh, well, they, I mean, they, they touched on pretty much all the storylines. I guess we didn't see Melisandre. She's supposedly wandering about Westeros somewhere. It was my theory in the offseason that she was actually going to meet up with Jorah and use the Lord of Light to cure his grayscale, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. There's something a little bit more scientific, I think, that's going to happen there. So uh, I'm kind of interested to see where she's going to turn up and uh, and this the Euron worries me and the little finger worries me, but I'm, I'm just, I'm one of those guys. Like I, I like to sit and theorize, you know, and think about where I could go. But at the same time, I don't want to think about it too much because when I, first of all, you can't predict what's going to happen. Like <laughs> nobody can. It's, that's what makes this show so great. But uh, I don't want to have anything spoiled either. So I don't want to come across. I don't, I'm not going to sit and dig through Reddit and look at all these uh, theories and then have basically one of them be right. And, ruin everything so i'm just looking forward to the ride man there's only six more episodes which sucks but i could not be more excited for it yeah it's gonna be awesome that part about it's great and then i think it was on your preview one of your guys mentioned that next season's gonna be like two like many movies every episode yeah they they sat down to, to now that you know season seven is all wrapped up they they're finishing the writing for season eight and they're going to get started filming it and yeah they realized that they had so much material that six normal episodes was not going to cut it like they had planned so they're all going to be like an hour and a half two hours long which is freaking sweet oh i'm, I'm so excited i thought my sundays were already good enough that's going to be man i'm going to go buy a case of wine that's, i know <laughs> that's going to be outstanding my god all right. What about you? What are you looking forward to the most from the season? Um, shoot. I, I'm really, really, really like I wanted the Sam storyline, but the fact they figured it out in episode one is outstanding. I want to see where that continues to go because I'm a Sam fan. I know he's just been picked on so much, but he's had such big roles that people like overlook. Like Sunday they redid all of episode or season six. And the scene where um Gilly and him are sitting down at his family's table and she stands up for him and says, he's done this, he's done this. It's just so crazy. The stuff he's done that people just put him down for. So I'm, I'm excited about him. Um, I am very, very excited for the whole wall scenario between the white yeah. walkers, between Bran. I'm with you a thousand percent on that there. That's going to be epic. That's gonna, <laughs> something. If that game of Thrones, I would say never, but that's not a good, rarely will ever disappoint you. If somehow that disappoints me, I'm going to be so pissed. So pissed. <laughs> there's, there's no way it's going to happen. There's, I know. There, you, there, there isn't, but God. Yeah. When you think of all the possibilities, too, that they can do with Bran now that he's the three-eyed raven and everything that he's going to know, and he's got a lot of stories to tell John, too, so I don't know when they're going to meet up, but he's got some serious info to tell John, and I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to him learning his true parentage and how he reacts to that and how that shifts the, the Game of Thrones. So, and there's, I mean, there's going to be some other mind, like there's going to be a mind blow so big 
I don't know if it's going to be this season or next season, but it's going to make the whole Hordor reveal seem like uh, an anthill, you know? Something is going to oh. be just amazing. Yeah, I agree, because the, the brand storyline is going to be awesome. I can't wait. I, I can't wait till John finally figures it out. I don't know. You, you'd assume it's from Bran, but you, I have a really good feeling Peter knows. Yep, that was, that was my other guess. I, I, I'm guessing that if anybody else knows it's him, and he might uh, not let him know in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, Sansa might find out first type thing. Um, or he might get you know, tied up with a, a sword to his throat or something. Um, there's that, or Tyrion might know. I have a feeling because he seems to know a lot of things that people don't like. He's he's another sneaky, awesome guy. Um, but that storyline, and then yeah, Bran's going to find out so many things, start uh, tell us so many things. There's a million storyline I could go on and on about this. Yeah, I, I'm pretty it? much excited about everything. <laughs> yeah, it was also ballsy for them to not have a single line for Tyrion in this entire opening episode. Yes, one that they can sort of they can uh, use him as a crutch basically for a lot of scenes, and they did not use him at all. Yeah, and that's a great point. That showed just how powerful this episode was for an opening one. That like we said, it re it rekindled a bunch of the old storylines, but at the same time, it was so so good. And yeah, he's been a guy on so many episodes where his like drunken moment here or there. That's all you remember. That was the episode. It was Tyrion doing this. Yeah, and. It was so powerful because, like, the last thing you remember of him in season six, he gets becomes the hand of the queen, and he's so emotional, he's just like speechless. That was awesome. I'm like, I'm getting this is going to sound really bad. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that scene. That was awesome. And then you see him just on a boat staring off into the ocean. That's all you see. He's silent basically the last half of of the last episode. And then they walk into the room, and you know, in the old Tyrion, he would have been like, okay, we need to do this, this, this. No, he just stares at the wall. He looks at things. And then he just looks at her with like this look on his face. He looks like a dog to his master. Like, <laughs> like yeah. what do you want to do? We're here. Let's it go. Awesome. And it's, yeah. I mean, he's, he's got to fly a dragon at some point. Yeah. That would be, be one of the so, things. so cool. Like reading through the books now had reminded me how early on in the series, they plant that in your head that he's, you know, he's talking about, he's reading a book himself about dragons and, uh, John Snow talks. He's like, "What the hell are you reading that for? Dragons have been extinct for you know hundreds or thousands of years." And he's talking about as a kid, he's always dreamt of flying one, and like that would just be such a cool, uh, a cool bow on his storyline to see him on top of a dragon. Now you mentioned all that stuff, and that stuff that I use as my crutch. How crazy would it be if he was a Tick Targaryen? <sighs> I can't even think of what the dragon. It'd be crazy. Just because, you know, they, they tell stories about how, uh, I guess, Rhaegar, and they they always had trouble having kids. They were either, like, disfigured or imps, or they just couldn't have them. And, you know, his dad always mentions how you're not my child, even though most of it just seems like it's spiteful. But why would they make a point to say that over and over and over again? Mm. Well, that would be that would sure be a hell of a reveal. Because it does seem like his, his whole life, you know, uh, uh, Tywin was yelling at him for basically killing her, his mother, you know. Yeah. So. And we, well, we know, we know Rhaegar and those guys like to sleep around. It's already been evidence. So, <laughs> Mr. Jon Snow's spitting image number one. So, I'm just saying, I don't think it'll happen, but it makes even more justification for him flying on a dragon. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, 
Gendry too. We got to see that boat rowing bastard at some point. Like I think it was it was your podcast or another one that made me laugh. That guy's forearms must be like freaking Mark McGuire. <laughs> he's been rowing for a long, long time. God, he's gonna look like a twelve year old the first time he found you porn. It's gonna be <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Yeah, I could talk to you about this forever. This is awesome. Um let's get to some fantasy baseball. Let's let's make Game of Thrones meet fantasy baseball. Let's do it. If you had to pick, if you had to pick a Game of Thrones character that resembled the way you run your fantasy baseball team, who would it be and why? There's a lot of interesting ways to go with this one, but I think I am going to go with someone who we just talked about quite a bit, uh, Peter Baelish, aka Littlefinger, because like I'm I'm always scheming myself how to make a, a beneficial trade and work my way up the standings until I sit atop the proverbial throne, and uh, completely in it for myself. I don't care too much about making a trade that's going to cripple another team. So I, th- I think I wanted to pick something, someone a little bit more manly, but uh, <laughs> I felt that Littlefinger fit my style the best. That's outstanding. Um, I, I spent a lot of time thinking this. I even pulled up like the the Game of Thrones cast page, and it's like literally every scenario. That one's phenomenal. The one I went with was maybe not me, like forever, but this year because this year's been so frustrating. I'm going to compare compare myself to Tyrion. That. I'm very knowledgeable about things. I know baseball very, very well, but so much is out of my control, like him and his life, and it just leads me to drink. So, <laughs> so I drink and I know things, but my team just can't do what I want it to do, and that's why I feel like Tyrion Lannister this season. It's been <laughs> so incredibly frustrating that that's my guy, but your Baelish one is phenomenal. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, that's uh, Tyrion is very fitting, too. I I definitely have been led to drink on more than a few occasions due to fantasy baseball and football. Football breaks my heart even worse, I think. Well, football, it's because it's it's all in like one day, basically, where it's just like, or yeah. even the first half of your day, you can just see it crumbling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you're usually, and you're usually drinking and watching football anyways. I like just, oh, screw the beer. Let's go to the hard stuff. Yeah, this is a day I'm going to want to forget. Let's go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Next week. All right. Um, winter is here, and so is the second. These are going to be corny people. I apologize. But winter is here, and so is the second half of baseball, which means we get prospects. And I know this is fitting. Now you're running a dynasty show. Let's talk about it. What are some of the prospects? You know, a lot of it everyone's talked about. But who do you think is coming up soon? And more importantly, who's, like, going to be fantasy relevant? Well, I hate to break the hearts out there, but I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of impact second half call-ups like we've had. I don't I don't really see a Gary Sanchez happening again this year, although nobody saw him really doing what he did last year either. But, I mean, to compile a, a short list here, I mean, Yohan Moncada, the number one prospect uh, by the consensus, he's not even really a lock to come up. I don't really know why the White Sox would even bring him up and start his clock when they can just point to his high strikeout rate and his, uh, you know, inadequate batting average i guess like he's not just slaying at triple a he has improved he has cut the keys uh but it's still really high he's still got a ton to prove and uh, i don't really know that it behooves them to bring him up before september so i mean he 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 will definitely be an impact in the stolen base category if he does get called up but i'm really not confident that he will 
Uh, Ahmed Rosario should have been up months ago. He's still toiling away in the minors for no apparent reason. That's driving me freaking nuts because I've have I've had him stashed in my NL only league, and injuries have ravaged that team just like everybody else on the on the planet Earth. So uh, Ahmed Rosario should have been up. I have him stashed, so I would say out of all these guys, probably stash him. Um, you know, we saw Michael Pineda go down now, so there's a little bit more room in the Yankees rotation, perhaps for Chance Adams. He's been killing it down on the farm, so he's a guy who on the pitching side could could come up and, and maybe make an impact for them. And then Luke Weaver uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals, he's been dominating at AAA this year, and we saw the Cardinals sort of inexplicably call him up and pitch a couple innings in relief and then send him back down right away. Uh, told him to wait until there's an actual spot in the rotation opens up, and then he'll be back up. So you're you're pretty much waiting on a trade or a, an injury for him, but uh, I think he could be a really good starter along with Chance Adams if he is back up in the second half. And then uh, the other guy that I think uh, the, he also needs an injury or a trade to be up, but it's Reese Hoskins with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, if Tommy Joseph, he's not lighting the world on fire exactly but he's been enough of a roadblock to keep hoskins down on the farm and uh so i I think again they don't really have a reason to start hoskins clock and create them you know a log jam on themselves at first base so tommy joseph could be on the move via trade i've heard a few rumors about him uh and if he gets nicked up as well you could see hoskins come up but he's he's definitely a guy he's gonna walk a ton he's gonna strike out a ton He's going to hit a ton of bombs, and uh, we've seen a bunch of those guys come up. But uh, he could be another guy that, that will contribute in those categories if he manages to come up. Yeah, uh, you pretty much hit everyone I I was thinking of because I'm a big prospects fan. It's just there's not many that are really going to do much right now. They're all kind of a little farther away at best. I think start of next season, Moncada. Super talented, but he's striking out a ton, like you said. It's either they need they would have brought him up a while ago, or there's really no need right now. Yolmer Sanchez has been formidable. Um, Tim Anderson's formidable, and they paid him a lot. So, well, not a lot, but a lot for him. So they got nowhere to really put him urgently wise, at least. Yeah, I think maybe if they t- trade Todd Frazier, they put him at third, maybe. But that's just why move a guy around. Well, that's the thing too. I think Tyler Saladino is back now as well. So even yeah. if if Frazier moves, and I, I, I mean. By the time you get this posted, who knows? He might be moved. It's he's been talked about that much, um, but even even if he's gone, that doesn't necessarily facilitate a, a call up of Moncada. Yeah, it's true. Ahmad, Ahmad Rosario is the one that stands out like no one's business. The fact that, well, no, what it is is that the Mets just continue to show either the worst run franchise in baseball. Um, yeah. That that one's mind blowing. Uh, Chance Adams, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him pretty soon. They didn't bring him up this last go-round. Like today, they brought a couple guys up. But I think it shows they want a stable spot in his rotation, and apparently that's not Pinetas. Apparently they're waiting for trades. Maybe he's a part of a trade for the bats they need. Who knows? Because there's rumors that, you know, if they trade for Sonny Gray, they'll get Sonny Gray and Yonder Alonso. Well, if you do that, you'd imagine Chance might be in that deal. So for sure. Oh yeah. And if you have him in dynasty, I mean, as long as it's not a wins league (laughs) to have him pitching instead of the Bronx, he's out in Oakland. That's a nice. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple different packages. They kind of like imaginary, you know, how trade talks work and Adams in a, um, they were, cause they said they had A's had a scout in single a, and that's where Rutherford, who's a monster. He's like, like a top 10 prospect and a couple other big guys in single a, that might be packaged with Adams 
coming over. It could be interesting. Um, and then the Reese Hoskins, that's a great call. That guy is outstanding. But also, I could see for some reason the Phillies are rebuilding, but they're talking trades. They're really, really heavily talking Christian Yellick, which I get. But at the same time, you already have a bunch of outfielders. You're rebuilding. Why are you going to trade away more of your pretty good prospects for Yellick? Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe you have better logic to this, but no, you know, it's called Williams, who's great. They got um, Alfaro, who's playing well. I don't see the need for another outfielder to get rid of talent. No, that I, I've i sort of scoffed at those uh, trade rumors as well. I don't see how it makes sense. You've got guys that are already well past you know their arbitration. They've got uh, big money, especially like Giancarlo Stanton. Boy, has he been rumored to be moving around now. Not a lot of teams that can you know take on that kind of money. But, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense to me for the Phillies to do something like that. Yeah, the latest he's rumored to come to the Giants, and I like it, but I don't see how it's happening. I just don't see how it's happening. Ah, that wouldn't make much. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess he's under contract for a while, so yeah. Even that's though they're super crappy this year, sorry. Uh, no, that's yeah. fine. There's future. Loop. <laughs> Better days ahead. But yeah, it's just one year. All right, Brand Stark should play a major role down the stretch, as we talked about. Um, what are some players that, you know, maybe started off slow, starting to figure it out and, um, have outperformed their preseason expectations that you're not trying to sell high on that you think are just awesome. Basically what guys that were drafted, you know, pretty late to lower than they should have been, have just been outstanding this year. Well, there's, yeah, there's the, there's the obvious ones, Judge and Bellinger, right? They've, yeah. just absolutely been phenomenal so but sort of skipping over them uh there's marcelo zuna has been really good this year he's basically doing this year what he was supposed to do last year before he got injured and basically just uh, wasn't himself over the course of the second half of the season uh hitting for power and average and i don't think that's a mirage he's coming into his own at 26 years old um, so I definitely would hang on to him. And then really there's this year has, you know, it's the fly ball revolution or the air ball revolution. So really all those guys who have sort of adjusted their swing plane or their approach at the plate, DeAndre Alonzo's and Justin Smokes and, uh, Logan Morrison's Justin Bohr, all, all those type of guys, I'm hanging on to them. Those changes are, are legitimate and you're just, you're seeing a whole lot more power out of them, uh, than you expected. Another guy, uh, who I keep trying to pimp and, sometimes misspell Lucas Duda. Uh, he's not necessarily uh, one of these big adjustment guys, but he's still criminally under-owned, um, and I, I would be targeting him over the course of the second half, and he's so cheap that like, if he gets injured like he is wont to do, then you can just cut him, and you're no worse for the wear. But, um, and then two, some, some pitchers, too, that I, I've totally bought into. Uh, Alex Wood, man, has he been a, a season savior for me in the prestigious Dynasty Dynasty Baseball League? I took him really, really late, and and that's you, I mean, you had no investment in him at all. And he's made some uh, some tweaks to his delivery, and hopefully he can stay healthy over the course of the second half because he has just been absolutely elite. And so as long as he can stay on the mound, I think he can continue to be really, really good. And then Luis Severino as well. I was totally wrong on him, and I, I thought that he was going to be a reliever, and he is not only not a reliever, he is a very good starting pitcher. <laughs> he He's managed to up his fastball velocity while also dropping his off-speed velocity, so creating more of a delta there. His changeup has improved. 
uh, it's by results. It's just fantastic. And he's throwing it more. Um, so all those guys, I definitely feel good, uh, hanging on to them. They wouldn't be sell highs for me at all. Yeah, those are all great. Severino's been amazing. I love your Duda take there. I've been mentioning him since he's come back from the DL uh, in a DFS world. He's been stupid cheap. Yep. He's like $3,100 and great matchups. Even went yard again tonight as we record on Monday night. He's a really good hitter that people sleep on. And yeah, sure, he gets hurt a lot. But like you said, then you just drop him again. What's the big deal? Uh, yeah, he's. I just tweeted about him yesterday. And on Yahoo, he was 9% owned. Oh, so that's who you tweeted about when I asked who you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Um, a couple names. Uh, Elvis Andrus finally becoming the guy most thought he could be. Uh, Travis Shaw making all Boston fans regret life. And um, last but not least, when I was looking at Fantasy Pro's April 2nd page on their rankings, so opening day rankings, Jose Ramirez was going 118 overall. Yeah, that that's outstanding. Um, uh, unbelievable. Dude, that's my boy. That pudgy, that pudgy little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is so lovable, man. He's got yes. that, that big ass and big lips, and like he's just kind <laughs> of. looks just like he's going to kiss somebody. He's always smiling. Yeah. He's having a blast. He's a great follow on Twitter too. He's so much fun. How do you not love him? So I'm I, I'm so glad that he is an awesome player. And back in 2014, I was already pumping him up just based on his contact rates and everything. And just the fact that he was so young and, and uh, honestly, I didn't see him being this good, but I'm so stoked that he has. Yeah. He's what baseball's supposed to be. I'm just out there having fun. And I'm really glad he pulled it off this year because everyone was writing off last season going, oh, it was a fluke. And he's done nothing but prove them wrong. It's been awesome. Yep. Um, let's go to Aria has a list a list of people she wants to murder. And she's slowly doing that. Like we talked about with the phrase recently um, as a fantasy owner, if you played long enough, any sport, you have a list of people that basically you would like to kill off and never own again. But more importantly, just from this season alone, just this season alone, what are some of the names that would be on your list that have just ruined some teams for you? Oh uh, yeah, there's, there's been a few. Thankfully my personal kryptonite clay buckholz uh hasn't been a factor this year so i haven't been tempted to add him anywhere gotta hate him uh but justin verlander i really thought that he was going to be uh at least on on par with what he was going or what he did last year pretty close to what he did last year and he seems to have just sort of hit that point Uh, i think he's like 34 years old now I, i think his stuff is just diminished and we're not going to see the the same verlander that we used to um, and then Garrett Cole, I actually, I actually don't own a ton of these other guys that I picked. Um, basically it's been injuries as far as most of the guys that have underperformed on my team, aside from, I guess maybe Jonathan VR is the only guy who I actually drafted. Who's really killed me. That is, that's stunning to me. What has happened to him? He's one of his calling cards has been his improving plate approach year over year. If you look at his his contact, his his uh, swing rates, and everything. He has consistently improved, and this year he just completely blew all of those gains out of the water. He just decided to start hacking at everything. He totally changed the player that he was, and now we've seen him just fall off the face of the earth. He's still uh, stealing bases, but he's hitting around the Mendoza line. He's not walking like he used to. Um, so he has killed me in my NL only league. Uh, and then some other guys, like I said, I don't really own these guys, but Garrett Cole, 
he uh i don't think that he's quite the guy that he was supposed to be i don't know if he ever will be i just don't think he's that good um i think you're looking at maybe like a number two pitcher in a good year maybe he's more like a number three with the strikeout rates that he's putting up uh manny machado he'll bounce back but he's definitely killed you if you've owned him this far now that batting average is just ridiculous but he'll he'll be okay don't worry and then miguel Cabrera, i think uh more of the same with him really weird first half but uh i think he's one of the leaders in the expected weighted on base category um so i think he'll bounce back pretty nicely and then trevor's story boy the people that were singing his praises last year are crying in their soup so far this year and he's gone far too extreme with the with the fly balls uh and that has just cratered his babip i don't care if you hit a course field when you hit everything in the air a lot of those balls are getting caught man and um his his value has taken a hit unexpectedly just because of everybody else hitting for so much power too you know like the like i said with the, the justin smokes of the world and everything all of a sudden logan morrison is good <laughs> and everything so that sort of negates story's value like he doesn't have that homer upside at shortstop anymore that puts him head and tails over everybody else um so those guys you know story i don't know if he's necessarily going to rebound this year i think i'm probably off him for the rest of this year maybe he can make an adjustment and get back to hitting more line drives instead of trying to hit every single thing in the air and over the fence in the future but uh, for this year i'm off of him but i would expect rebounds like i said for biggie machado yeah um when we talked you came on preseason to talk fancy baseball and I know you waxed poetically on yours as well. We were both very big on Johnny VR. That's just, like you said, it's kind of baffling how that's all come together. Then his return from the DL, he looked like he was finding it again, and then he fell off the map again. So it's curious to see how that comes together. Uh, Trevor Story was another one I had on my list on my baseball podcast. I was That was my dark horse to win the home run title. So if that's not happening, um, not happening at all. Cargo has been horrific. It might be retirement time for Cargo. Like I'm all on board. I'm all on board the Machado and Miggy buy low train. Cargo, I want nothing to do with. Like he's got grayscale. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, don't touch him. Yeah, stay far, far away. Uh, Gregory Polanco has been massively disappointing. I keep ah, thinking yeah. it's year to break out. He's at that age and everything. And this year was horrific with him so far. I don't think it's going to get too much better. And then just a personal one because he did affect my team because he's a freaking moron and decides to ride dirt bikes in the middle of the season. Madison Bumgarner, uh, when you take a picture that early, it's one thing to get an injury. It's another thing to get an injury like that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good call on Polanco too because I was, I was in on him too. And, you know, he was another one like VR. Like you, you had seen consistent year-over-year progression with him, especially in like hard contact and everything. And, I boy, I, I thought this might have been the breakout year, and I I seriously think that he's got to hit an injury or some, something just isn't right. Like his hard contact is just completely tanked, uh, and it looks sort of inexplicable because his batted ball profile is really the same. So I don't know. I I don't think that I would be buying him for the second half. But Dynasty, I'm still in on him. I think it's just going to be sort of a lost year for him. All right, all right. So we mentioned a couple buy low targets. Let's move on to our final topic. George R.R. Martin, the masterful mind slash psychotic, creepy mind to this whole thing, he has no problem killing anybody. Anybody. You kind of hit beat around the bush. What are a couple players you will never, ever own again? Due to their start. <laughs> Gregory, Gregory Polanco did make my list there. Uh, and um, I think Kevin Gaussman, boy, oh boy, has he been bad. 
I've been pumping the ghosts for years and years. I somehow didn't own him this year. It, I don't know how because I still liked him, but I think that now I'm not going to be in on him until he's with a different organization. I don't know what it is about Orioles and, and pitching, but they just can't do it. And then uh, Kyle Hendricks, I didn't buy him after last year. You saw that historic Cubs defense. You know, they all their pitchers had obscenely low BABIPs, and you knew that that was going to come back. But uh, Hendricks, when he came back down to earth from all that BABIP luck, and he doesn't strike out a ton of guys, I am not sold on him rebounding to any extent. And then Rick Porcello, I just have always hated Rick Porcello. For some reason, I tra- I traded for him because his some of his um, peripherals looked really good after like a, a first month of the season. He was striking out more guys than ever. His walk rate was good and he was just his hard hit rate was high. I'm like, well, that'll regress. And it sort of has in recent weeks. He's, he's been better, but I've definitely endured a lot of crap with him <laughs> that I didn't really expect. Yeah, um, I agree, especially with the Gaussman call. I was all aboard. Yep, he's finally going to do it. And then, nope, he finally did not. Um, I mentioned kind of earlier, Cargo, never touching again. Story, I'm not, because by the time he figures it out, Brendan Rodgers left taking his spot. So there's really no need to touch him, in my opinion. But the one that I used to never, ever take, and I took the gamble this year, and I never will again, ever. I don't care how well he pitches the rest of the year, the rest of his career. Masahiro Tanaka, dead to me. Yeah. Bonsai, he gone. <laughs> uh, I want nothing to do with that, man. I finally bought in thinking, okay, I, I always stayed away. The injury thing always scared me. But he, he, you look at his numbers, and he does it year in and year out, even with the injury. No, not this year. They showed he's like a vampire now. Daytime, he's outstanding. Nighttime, he just gets destroyed. It's it's crazy what he's doing right now. Really? Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, like, with, yeah, with someone uh, tweeted it out. Yeah, it's like a fourteen ERA at night. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I've I have not invested in him. I've just missed out on his good years, uh, just you know because the UCL seemed like a ticking time bomb in the elbow, and so I, nobody really wants to invest in that. And basically, everybody for the last couple of years has got a huge return on their investment because not only has he made it through the season, he's been excellent. Uh, but this year, yeah, that has totally fallen apart. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on the Tanaka until he. Uh, either retires or has Tommy John. I don't know if I'm going to be looking at him. Yeah, I'll put that caveat in. If he has Tommy John, which is unlikely at his age and after waiting this long, then I would on the train. But until then, not happening. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, I, one, I do have some buy lows and sell highs. Oh, let's get at it. Okay. Yeah, the Khaleesi. I'll, I'll do the whole the cheesy part. Um, Khaleesi. <laughs> Khaleesi, as we saw at the end of season six, she's making deals. She wants to make herself a stronger army, a stronger force, like we do in fantasy baseball. We make deals to improve our team. What are some buy lows and sell highs for the rest of the season? Could I totally derail us for just a second? Of course. And go back to Game of Thrones? Yes. I'll- what is your... What's your favorite nudity that you've seen on the on the show? So, oh, dude. Okay, first off, I said it on my preview episode. She finally got naked again last season. Thank God, she was <laughs> such a stuck up prude when she was getting it, when she was getting it from Carl Drago. Oh my God, that was awesome. But um, favorite scenes, you know, some of those early ones when Tyrion was always at the whorehouse was were very entertaining. <laughs> always because he had like multiples in there. Yeah. That's a tough one. That's really good. What's yours? 
Well, I, definitely a shout out to Roz the Whore, who met her untimely demise thanks to a Joffrey arrow. She was always good. Like she, she was naked for almost the entire time that she was ever on the screen. So RIP Roz the Whore, gone too soon. But yeah, no, that's what reminded me of this question is that it's it's definitely Amelia Clark as Khaleesi way back in season one, like when she's getting in the tub and all that kind of stuff. That's yes. my favorite nudity of the of the whole season. What about like uh hey, that's like a good Marjorie and real quick, I forgot about that scene when she gets in the tub and she's talking to her brother, I think. That's uh yeah, creepy but really, really good. And uh I thought we'd never see it again because she basically came out in all kinds of interviews like, No, I'm not gonna do that, I'm a strong woman, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And boom. Light the place on fire, she gets naked again. Apparently we know what turns her on. <laughs> Stoke that fire. Sorry, sorry. Continue. Okay. No, that's a that's a. I, I suppose I could go on back to the actual baseball now. Well, no, 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 no. I'm all about Game of Thrones. Marjorie, did she ever get naked? She sure did. One when time, did she... I forgot who it was even for. I can picture the scene especially well, but I don't remember who was looking at her. <laughs> Because I like that was like the one person I was so depressed died in Cersei's mayhem. Uh, she got. I loved her character. Yep. I loved her character. She was very attractive, and just her character's mind. I thought she could have done a lot of damage in this next season. Yep. She she knew how to play the game, and she was slow playing it really well. But uh, you know, she caught up in something a little bit out of her hands, and she got screwed. She got a raw deal. Yep. Big time. Big time. What about the Cersei's fake walk of shame that wasn't really her? Oh, man. I didn't find out about that until after the season was over. <laughs> that, that upset me. But I guess I guess that is an obscene amount of nudity to have to ask for from any actor. So that one in particular, I don't have a huge problem with the actress bowing out of that one. And she's actually, I don't think it was because she doesn't want to get naked because she's been naked in movies before. So... Yeah. I think it was just the gratuitous aspect of it that she backed out of. I, I don't blame her though. You said walking that far, getting stuff thrown at you and everything. I think I could pass on that. Yeah. All right. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back to baseball. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I put Johnny Cueto on this list as my buy low. I've got three buy lows and I think three sell highs prepared for you. Johnny Cueto is an even lower buy now than he once was uh, because he's now on the disabled list with some stupid blisters. And that's a whole nother conversation. All these pitches dealing with blisters, uh, you know, hypothesizing that uh, it's because of the seams that are different. That's a different baseball and all that kind of stuff. Seems more than a coincidence to me. I'm one to kind of buy into that, but that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, I think Cueto can be a lot better in the second half. I wrote him up on Big Guy Fantasy Sports this past week as a guy who should rebound pretty nicely in the second half, assuming that he doesn't struggle with blisters too much. He's uh, not going to be a rich hill. And then another guy, this guy could have qualified as a disappointment as well because I did have stock in Carlos Rodon, and he's finally back. And he's he's been hit or miss so far. I think he walked six guys his first outing back. Uh, so that's not encouraging. But he's also he's shown flashes of who he was in the past. And you look at his numbers last year, like he's uh, he's he's chucking that change up. He's got confidence in it now. So that's going to avoid platoon splits that did him in for the first year uh, around the league. Uh, his walk rate was like cut in half from the year before. And so I do think that once he knocks all the rest off, those walks will be 
much more under control. So I like Carlos Rodon a lot uh, over the course of the second half, and you're going to always get a strikeout per inning with him. And then my third by low guy is AJ Pollock, another guy who's been injured. He missed most of the first half of the season. And this dude does have, I will say he's got a propensity to get injured for sure. So there is an injury risk with him, but with the state of stolen bases uh, right now, he can be a true difference maker in the second half. And he can also score. I mean, we've seen it before. He can hit for a really great average. He can score you a ton of runs. So he could be like the Starling Marte that everybody's been hanging on for. Who's been, uh, suspended for the first half. You do have to worry about injuries, like I said, but if you're going to buy, if you're desperate, you're buying him uh, on uh, basically the, the stolen base upside that you're hoping for from like maybe a Trey Turner or something like that that you're obviously not going to get. Yeah, I, I love all those. Um, I'm a big Pollock guy. He has In that lineup leading off that ballpark, tons to love there. You mentioned Machado and Cabrera earlier. That's an obvious one. Um, the Cueto thing I wanted to mention to you, I don't know why they waited till now if it's because Bumgarner's back now or whatever. He's been battling two blisters on different fingers since like May. He's oh, wow. Well, that explains a lot of it. Yeah, that's why I kept telling guys. I'm like, I know he's not looking good and his strikeouts are down, but let's just take it with a grain of salt. I don't know why they waited so long when the season's already over. What are you doing? You know, you need to try to trade him and whatever. I, I don't, the Giants this year, I don't know. But um, yeah, he's been battling blisters <laughs> for a while. Um, the other guy that I had as an interesting one, it's a, it's a gamble, but I think the upsides there and he's really played well are okay or better. However you want to decide on it the last few weeks is Odebel Herrera. Um, you can get him super cheap. Like these other names are like still big name guys. So you still might have to pay a little bit for him. You can get Odebel ridiculously cheap right now because everyone's given up on him. But if people look at the way he's been playing the last, you know, at the most a month, he's actually played really, really well, a lot more like the Odebell of old. He's just a guy to keep an eye on if you want a little upside without giving up too much. Yeah, he can be had for, for next to nothing for sure. I am I am worried about him overall. I don't know what happened to his steals, man. He's 5 for 10 so far this year. That aspect of his game has just completely fallen off. But yeah. I, I, as, a, as a complete cheap buy, yeah, I, I'm in on him. And what are your cells? My cells. Well, we'll see if we can get some disagreement out of you here. I don't know. Might ruffle some feathers. I don't have any giants on this list, though, so I'm safe. Uh, Will Myers, actually. Uh, I have him as a sell high. Dude has completely changed uh, his approach from last year. His strikeout rate is up 7 freaking percent to 30% this year. Contact rate's down 7% as well, 73%. Um, he's got a 252 batting average and that's living off a 330 BABIP and that is not sustainable with all those strikeouts and a 17% pop-up rate too. Um, so uh, I see that profile falling substantially over the course of the second half steals. Uh, they're, they're well off his pace as well. 28 steals from last year. Uh, he's not going to approach that this year either. So I've been trying, I've got him in the nasty cast podcast league. I've been trying to sell him all year. And I haven't found any takers yet. Maybe I've been barking up the wrong trees, but I would be selling Will Myers if I can. And then another first baseman, Mark Reynolds out in Colorado. He's been a first half MVP for a lot of guys. Somebody I didn't even consider coming into the season because, you know, you had uh, Ian Desmond that was supposed to be a first base every day. Literally never thought about Mark Reynolds, uh, but 29% strikeout rate, 27.5% home run per fly ball rate. And that's off of just 32% hard contact rate. 
Um, so that will go down uh, 66% contact rate too. That's just scary. That's really, really low. Um, he's also played his highest games. Um, well, he's, well, he's trending towards that this year, but uh, since 2011, the highest games played that he's had is 140. So he's older than ever, obviously, and he's close to a lock, I think, to find a disabled list over the course of the second half. So he's a definite sell for me. And uh, if he falls off at all, too, they've got Ryan McMahon, who's just tearing the cover off the ball in the minor leagues. So there's a chance that he comes up, too. And then uh, my third guy is Brett Gardner out in New York. Uh, he's been a godsend for me. I've somehow got him in multiple leagues just randomly. It's not like I was in on him. This has just been batshit luck uh, <laughs> in the good form for me. I always complain about the bad luck. So when something like this comes along, it makes me really happy. Of course, now I'm trying to sell high on him like I'm recommending right now. I'm not finding any suitors because perhaps everybody else agrees like me. I mean, he's a, a career first half guy. Yeah. Um, I, w- I will say so far this year, hard contact rate is up. That's uh, It seems like it's sustainable power. Right, uh, it's up to thirty-four percent. Fly ball percentage is way up. Pull percentage is way up. But like I said, career first half guy. His OPS split for his career: seven seventy-four OPS in the first half, six eighty-three in the second half. Almost a hundred points lower. He's almost thirty-four, uh, so his his likelihood of missing time with injury, you know, along with uh, with Mark Reynolds and really Will Myers too. These guys all have had pretty extensive injury histories. Um, I think his his. Uh, chance of finding the disabled list is pretty high over the course of the second half too. So I'd be selling Brett Gardner if I could. Yeah, that's very interesting. Will Myers, he's a guy that's really surprised me this year because I thought he'd take the next step and he started out like he was going to. And he's kind of, to me, is kind of plateauing at the moment. It's really weird watching him play. Um, what are your thoughts on the Judge and Bellinger conundrum? Because, you know, Thames came out the door early in the season and everyone said, oh, did we keep him, sell him? Well, the ones that said sell him are looking beautiful right now. Obviously, regression has to come into play. What do you think on Bellinger and Judge? Uh, Judge, I'm really not worried about at all. He just strikes me as an otherworldly talent. I think he's going to be a dynasty monster, a behemoth for years and years to come. Um, he just, he hits the ball so hard. He's got such effortless power that he's going to sustain really high babbits throughout his career. Um, a lot of balls that wouldn't leave the ball, leave the, leave the yard for anybody else on planet earth are going to fly out with him. So I'm really not worried about him too much. Bellinger is a little bit of a different story. Uh, we've seen him go through prolonged slumps already, and he's got a completely different swing from Aaron judge that, uh, has a lot more holes in it and, he's just completely all or nothing, you know? So I don't think he's going to be able to sustain the type of batting average uh, that, that Aaron judge can. I think he's going to strike out a lot. So if I'm selling either one of them, I don't think I am, but if I was, I would sell on Bellinger and think that pitcher pitchers are going to adjust to him a little bit over the second half. But um, you know, it, it all depends on sort of what your return is, right? Cause when you were selling Eric Thames, it was like, Oh God, I'm getting like, you know, Max Scherzer for him earlier on the season, you know, like if you get a no brainer like that, then sure, go ahead. But uh, for the most part, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily looking to sell those guys. Okay. Uh, A couple that could be controversial. Maybe I'll get you riled up here that I would look into. And you mentioned his name earlier as an overachiever, maybe, or just doing really well overachievers rude, but um, Alex Wood, I would deal him now. He's got an injury history in his past. He's already, you know, you never know if he's going to go five or six innings or more. He's been productive, but how long is that? He could be great. This could be wrong. But at the same time, if you have an Alex Wood and you need multiple players, 
you could really reload your squad with an Alex Wood type who is just overachieving like crazy in my mind. Um, not saying he'll be bad the rest of the way, but I don't know if he can ever keep this kind of pace up. Um, yeah, well, it, it is it is the injury. If you are worried about injury with him, that's definitely something that he's proven so far is that he is going to find the disabled list pretty consistently. But what he's been doing so far, I think, is pretty well deserved. Yeah. Um, another guy, and he's already kind of starting to slump and show these these true faces. He's super talented, especially at home. But as people know in baseball, you play half your games on the road. Um, Jake Lamb, get what you can. That's what I would say, because that average continues to fall. Power is there, but only really at home. So I'd say get what you can with that one, because he's had a great year. And the other one I'd look at is Starling Castro for the Yankees. Definitely, yeah. That, yeah, that the, one only, is just... the only downside of short is shortstop's so just dead and empty. You have to at least get like a, a half-decent one in return in your deal or pray someone's on the waiver wire like a, a Freddie Galvis or something just to like hold the spot which isn't a bad hold, but um, I would get rid of Castro as quickly as you can. Yeah, especially if you're getting a really nice player in a turn. Um, but yeah, I, for him, it's just all BABIP. It's nothing that he's done is any different than uh, you know what he's what he's done in the past. It's just his, his batting average is higher than it should be. But I will say that the Yankees lineup has been a lot better than I thought it was going to be coming into the year. So the runs in RBI are, are better than what I would have forecast, but yeah, running back to Jake Lamb too. He was a guy who I was the I would say the most pessimistic on the show when we brought him up. Um, I mean, it was probably a good month ago now, but I mean, the guy still isn't hitting lefties worth a lick. I will say that, like, as far as just power hitters that bash righties, he's up there. I think in all of, all of the major leagues right now. But he was he has been overachieving in the first half, so I, I think he can still be really good. But uh, yeah, he's he's not necessarily the complete player yet. He's still got a ways to go. Yeah, I, I think people have a, such a high expectation. And I love Jake Lamb. I really do. He's super talented. He's a great DFS play. But uh, season long, you could you could probably get a pretty nice haul from the right owner looking for an upgrade there. Um, one last thing I want to ask you. It's not on the, uh, the outline. It's not even really Game of Thrones related. But I know we talked preseason and you were kind of like, eh, I don't know. How's life being a Minnesota Twins fan this year? <laughs> Boy, talk about a stark contrast from a year ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to revisit that because we did talk a substantial amount of twins. And I I mean, I would say it was something I brought up at the beginning, you know, before the season, I guess, uh, the, the effect that Jason Castro behind the dish could have on that twins pitching staff, man. I think we've seen it quite a bit with uh, with Santana, with Barrios, you know, the turnaround that those guys have had from, from a year ago. It's night and day, and that's that's been the twins right there. And, uh, you know, Buxton, I don't know if you ended up drafting him in a lot of leagues this year. I think I was kind of trying to talk you down from him a little bit because uh, I wasn't quite seeing the the breakout, and now I'm just hoping that it comes. But, man, that dude can fly, and his defense is outstanding. And I was watching their game against Houston just last night. Uh, I think it was last night or two nights ago. In any case, the, they had Eddie Rosario freaking playing center field and just – he gave up like two runs on a catch that Buxton would have made with ease. And so right there alone, like you could see, even if he's hitting around the Mendoza line, you know, like the difference that Buxton makes in his base running and his defense, that's going to keep him in the lineup for a career. So hopefully the, the hitting comes around. So as a twins fan, I get to enjoy him just for the player that he is, but I want to be able to suck in like 50 steals a year in fantasy too. And <laughs> so I still got aspirations for him, man. 
Yeah, no, I got lucky. I didn't get them everywhere I wanted because people were buying them way higher than I wanted to go. Um, I love his talent. I'm with you there. He's so fun to watch. And I, I'm hoping Sunday he figures it out. He's, he's shown signs of life, I would say, the last what, month maybe. He's looked a lot better. Yeah. But he still has a ways to go, obviously. Well, they're, they're not doing him any favors either uh, with the, the coaching staff and his, his city coach. Like one week he'll have a leg kick and the next week it's gone. And then three weeks later they'll bring it back. It's like quit screwing around with the guy. How are you supposed to, you know, if you don't have any consistency whatsoever, how are you supposed to be successful at the major league freaking level? Like the minor leagues is when you're supposed to be toying around with stuff like that. And they're still yanking him back and forth. So it's, it's no wonder that he's failed so far this year at the plate. Yeah, no doubt about it. Can they hang on to at least get to the postseason? I won't say win the central. You can say it if you want. Do they make the postseason? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, if you look at their their run differential, it's really bad. <laughs> they they're it's like negative fifty or something like that. They should be well under five hundred if you just go by that and sort of average it out. And we've already seen Irvin Santana come back to earth. I think he's gonna continue to be more of a mid to back end type of starter as opposed to the elite ace that he somehow decided to be over the course of the first half. And their bullpen is just atrocious too. Um, so I will say that if they wanted to make a run, which I'm personally still kind of on the fence, I don't know whether they should buy or sell. Um, but I think just because there's so much regression coming and that bullpen is just so terrible that uh, they're, they're better off selling and just hopefully getting a mint for Irvin Santana. Um so it, it, it sort of pains me to say it because you definitely didn't expect him to be here. Um, <laughs> but but there's, I think there's a lot of second-half regression coming, and, and they're going to go downhill. So hopefully it hits them fast, and, and like I said, they can unload Santana and get a mint in return. Yeah, I would seriously look into uh, becoming sellers and realizing you guys are about a year ahead of schedule. I think you're having a great year, but you have a little more developing to do, and then it'll really come together. Because what Sano's been able to put together has been outstanding. Kepler and company. It, it's fun to watch. Definitely is fun to watch. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have, for the most part, enjoyed watching the Twins this year, especially when Joe Maurer's been on the disabled list. Uh, but I, yeah. but I, How does he keep batting him like third? <laughs> ruins the line. Well, okay. Paul, Paul Monitor, Molitor needs to go. I will say that he is uh, he's not the greatest manager um not the worst either but especially in his bullpen uses he's just not good but yeah line of construction leaves a little bit to be desired uh you, you're sort of trying to make lemonade out of lemons as far as with what you have with joe mauer he's basically a platoon first base dh type that's owed 23 million dollars a year for the next year and a half so there's only so much you can do with that but um i, w- I wanted to say one thing too as long as we're on this topic uh baseball prospectus is doing an event at target field uh august 5th and i'm and i'm gonna be there as you get a meet and greet with uh like the gm of the twins and a bunch of like aaron gleeman the editor of baseball perspectives a bunch of other writers and stuff so i'm gonna be there so if anybody's out there listening to this right now and they're gonna be at that uh i'd love to meet up get a hot dog or something like that yeah that sounds awesome i'm hoping they do one in in san francisco one day because i saw they did that one in baltimore recently it looked like a lot of fun a lot of good stuff there um that's pretty awesome i know you get to meet the gm and everything Good time. Yeah, you get uh, apparently it's like most of the brass. I'm actually I'm in a f- fantasy league with Dustin Morris, who's like the I don't exactly know what his role is, but he's up in the front office with the Twins. So I'm stoked to meet him and give him some crap over this Joey Votto trade that we made uh, last year. So 
<laughs> so it should be fun. But yeah, I'm looking at talking baseball with uh, a lot of other dorks like us. Awesome. That's awesome. That's uh, yeah. That sounds like a blast. All right. Well, I could sit and talk Game of Thrones and baseball with you all day, but I think someone might get mad at us, like our wives. Um, yeah. it, any any last words, my friend? Did you want to plug all your stuff one more time? Uh, no, it's too much. I'll run out of breath. Uh, <laughs> go check out the nasty cast on all forms. Go check out fan tracks radio and he's at Nathan Dawkin. Check that out. Yeah. I, I pretty much linked to everything from Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, then you'll, you'll get all that good stuff. You'll be able to find the work. And if you guys check out the podcast that we are doing now, I put all his ats that he works for or writes for on the info on the podcast. So they're all right there. That's um, a long list. Out. It was. It actually took up like a line and a half. It was pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, man. It's it's been a blast. We'll have to do it again very soon. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's always great having you, man. I appreciate it. We'll have one last outro before we wrap it up. But everybody, thanks for listening. Check me out on Twitter at BDNTrick. Again, Nathan, awesome time. Um, This was Bench with Bubba, episode 46, Game of Thrones meets fantasy baseball. More Game of Thrones. We'll catch you guys later. Shall we begin? Yes. Yes, we shall.